You can go to the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. It's on your handout. But if you have a Bible and want to turn there as well, you can. But Luke chapter 11, we'll read verse 1 through 4, and I want to talk tonight on this thought, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Last week I talked about essentials for powerful prayer. And this week I want to talk about prayer once again. And I believe if there's anything that we need to do in these last days, as the people of God, it's pray. Jesus said His house would be a house of prayer. I believe the people of God and the house of God needs to be marked by prayer. So Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse number 1 through verse number 4. It says, Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, that is referring to Jesus. It says, When he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. That John there is referring to John the Baptist. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. There's something about the way that Jesus prayed that caused his disciples to want to learn to pray as he prayed. They saw him praying, they heard him praying, and when he was finished praying, one of them asked a simple question. They made a simple request, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. You'll notice that they didn't ask to learn how to preach like he preached. They didn't say, teach us to expound the scripture. They didn't say, teach us to explain principles from the word of God the way you do. They didn't say, teach us to work miracles and work signs and work wonders like you do. They didn't ask him to show them how to multiply the loaves and the fish and feed 5,000. They didn't say, Jesus, show us how to walk on the water and calm the storm. They said, teach us to pray. There was something about how he talked with God. There was something about how he fellowshiped with his father. There was something about his relationship with God that caused them to say, we've got to know how to pray like he prays. And that's amazing to me. They were more concerned about his prayer life than the supernatural works than he did. But yet so many times we get caught up in wanting to do the supernatural works than we do in the prayer life that Jesus had. But I would submit to us if we had a prayer life like Jesus had, we might could do some of the supernatural things that Jesus did. Amen? I would submit to us tonight that if we had more prayer in our lives, we could probably have more power in our lives. Because there's something about when you walk with God and have fellowship with God and communion with God that then you can see God work through your life and do marvelous, miraculous things. 
And so if there's anything we need to learn how to do, we need to learn how to pray. You see, I believe what the church needs today is more people who know how to pray, who will devote themselves to prayer. The truth is, it's much easier to get Christians to do almost anything than it is to get them to pray. Oh, you can call a meeting and say, hey, we're going to come clean the church, we're going to come and shape up the grounds, and people will come out, but you say we're going to have a prayer meeting and you'll get just a few people who'll show up. Because we'd rather do anything else but pray. You see, the devil doesn't want us to pray. Our flesh doesn't want us to pray. In fact, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and said, hey, you stay here and pray and I'm going to go a little further away and I'm going to pray. And he came back and he found them, what? Sleeping. And he said, pray lest you enter into temptation. And he went away again and he came back and he found them sleeping. He went away and he came back and he found them sleeping. And he told them, could you not tarry with me one hour? And he ends up telling us, he says, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. There's something about prayer that our flesh wants to fight against. You see, the reality is most of us have no problem picking up our Bible and reading it. We can do that. But there's something about when we get on our knees, there's something about when we get in our secret place and begin to pray that all of a sudden all of our to-do list begins to haunt us and come to our mind of all the things that we've got to get done because prayer is something the enemy doesn't want us to do. All of a sudden when you begin to pray, it's like everybody in the world has to contact you in that moment. Because the enemy knows if he can keep us from praying, he can keep us from being who God wants us to be. I'll admit prayer is difficult. Prayer can be hard sometimes. But if we're going to get anywhere in our walk with God, we have to be people who know how to pray. We've got to get past the distractions. We've got to get past what the flesh wants and get into a realm of prayer that we have never been before. In this passage, Jesus, he taught his disciples some lessons on prayer. And I believe there are some things that we can take away from this passage that will help us be better at praying. So number one, you can learn to pray. You can learn to pray. Notice verse 2. He said to them, when you pray, say. And then he begins to go in what is known as the Lord's Prayer. You see, many people say they don't pray because they don't have time. But some people say, I don't pray because I don't know how to pray. Isn't that what some people say? I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to ask for. I don't know what to say. And so that's why I don't pray. I don't really know what to do when it comes time to pray. And so Jesus is asked by the disciples and he begins to teach them how to pray. He responds by saying, when you pray, say this. Now he gives them what is known as the Lord's Prayer or some refer to it as the disciples' prayer. And he's not giving us this prayer to simply repeat it over and over again. He's not giving this this to us for us to just kind of routinely recite it over and over. But he's giving it to us as a pattern for prayer. He's giving it to us to kind of follow and walk through as a model to learn how to pray. 
The point is simply this. Jesus is teaching them, training them, and disciplining them on how to pray. And so here's the lesson. You can learn how to pray. Now here's the thing. Prayer's not always easy, but it's not complicated. We've made it more difficult and more complicated than what it really is. Sometimes the flesh is going to fight you. The devil's going to try to keep you from prayer. But prayer really isn't that complicated. Can I really boil down what prayer is in its simplest definition? Talking to God. Just like you and I could talk and have a conversation, Brother Kirk, prayer in its simplest form, in its simplest definition, is you talk to God. But here's the thing. Sometimes you get quiet and let God talk to you. That's prayer in its simplest form. What do I talk about? Anything you want to. Whatever's on your heart. Talk to God about the weather if you want to. Guess what? He's in charge of it. Well, I've got a bad day. Who better else to talk to about your bad day than God? Because this is the day the Lord has made. So who better else to talk to about your bad day than than God? Amen. You see, prayer doesn't have to follow a specific formula. Prayer shouldn't be some routine that we try to follow, follow through on. Here's the thing what we do with prayer sometimes. We try to tell God what we think God wants to hear. Isn't that what we do? God wants to hear me say this, and so that's what we try to do. God just wants your heart to connect with Him. That's it. God wants you to pour out your heart and connect with Him. Just open up your heart, open up your life to Him. If it bothers you, if it concerns you, talk to God about it. Now here's the thing, some people say pray Scripture, and I'm all about praying Scripture. The Word of God reveals the will of God. And I believe we can pray Scripture and quote Scripture in prayer. There's nothing wrong with that, but do you always have to pray Scripture? No. Some people say you should follow this little acronym called ACTS, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. That's great. But is it necessary? No. Here's what I want to say to you. Don't overcomplicate prayer to the point that you don't do it. What good is all the how-tos of prayer if you don't pray? What good is all the methods, Brother Kirk, if we don't use none of the methods? What good is all the acronyms if we don't ever apply them? Just simply figure out a way that you can connect with God. If you have to, sit a chair there next to you and imagine that God's sitting there with you. He is. He's present. And talk to Him. Talk to Him. But you can learn to pray. But here's the thing. You'll never get better at praying until you start praying. you got to start. And here's the thing. None of us start out praying perfectly. Prayer like anything else, it takes some practice. It takes some time. But you got to start. And you got to learn. 
And you get better the more you do it. But you got to start. You can learn to pray. But secondly, prayer is about a relationship. And this is one of the things we struggle with as well. We've made our formulas and our routines and we forget that ultimately it's about relationship. Notice that he says, when you pray, say, our Father. It's about our Father. That's a great truth, isn't it? Our Father. You see, this is the ground upon which we can approach Him with our prayers. And it's a truth that we shouldn't take too lightly. You see, when God made man in His image, God became the Father of the human race in creation. But then man fell into sin and he received a new father according to John 8, 44. Jesus told the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. And so now the only way that any person can experience the fatherhood of God is through the new birth. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. You've got to be born from above. You've got to be born anew. And so when we're born by His Spirit, when we're saved by His grace, and when we're washed by His blood, we have the right to call Him God the Father. When the new birth takes place, we are immediately adopted into the family of God. And that means now I can call Him Abba Father. Amen. And so this new relationship now opens up the avenue and gives me access into the presence of God. The Father. Now here's the thing. Most ancient religions, they couldn't conceive God as Father. But the Jews, they understood this concept very well. In fact, they had many names for God. Names that they often used when they prayed. For instance, a man in need would pray to Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. If they were anxious or stressed out, they would call on Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord our Peace. If they were lonely or afraid, they might call on Jehovah Shammah, which means the Lord is there. If they needed leadership and direction, they would call on Jehovah Rohi, which means the Lord our shepherd. If they were sick, they would call, call on Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord our healer. And the list could go on and on for hour upon hour about the names of God. But here's the thing, you get the point. But when Jesus instructed his disciples on how to pray, he didn't give them a list of names. He said, you call on the Father because that's the only name you need to know. I'm thankful that he's Jehovah Rapha the healer. I'm thankful that he's Jehovah Jireh. But here's the thing, when I'm sick and when I'm hurting and when I'm broken, I don't have time to think of a great list of names. I can just go before him and say, Father, this is what I need. And that's the only name I need to know. He's my Father. Amen. And because he's Father, he's healer, he's provider, he's restorer, he's everything I need because he is Father. Amen? And that's the only name I need to know. Hallelujah. You see, as a child, I have the privilege to call on Him. And He's promised to hear and answer when I call. I can whisper, and He hears my voice. He hears the faintest cry. Amen? When I'm in a storm, I can say, Father, and He hears me. When the winds are howling and the waves are beating and crashing around, I can say, Father, and He hears me. He says, call unto me and I'll hear you and I'll answer you and show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. 
You see, we can pray because we have a relationship with the Father. You see, what makes prayer powerful is because we have a relationship with the Father. I said it last week, prayer is not powerful because I ask. Prayer is powerful because of the one I ask. Amen? That's what makes it powerful. Because of Him being the Father. And so I can go confidently to Him. I can go boldly to Him. I can go expectantly to Him because He is my Father. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Can I tell you the Father will never turn you away. The Father will never reject you. The Father will never scold you. But the Father will be there to give you help in time of need. He's a good Father. Amen. How many of you have found that to be true, that He's a good, good Father? You see, the reason we sometimes hesitate to call out to Him is because maybe our earthly fathers haven't been so good to us. That's why some people struggle to relate with God because of how the earthly father has treated them. But we have a good father. If we being evil know how to give good things to our children, how much more will our heavenly father give good things to those that ask Him? Listen, if I'm an earthly father being wicked and evil wanting to do good for my kids, how much more does He want to do good for me? We have a relationship with the Father. And that's how prayer is established on a relationship. But here's a third thing I want to give you this evening. You must seek God's will. If we're going to learn how to pray and we want Jesus to teach us to pray, I believe He would tell us you must seek God's will. Notice what He tells us in the prayer. He says, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The purpose of prayer is not to get our will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. Prayer isn't telling God what we want and then selfishly enjoying it. Prayer is asking God to use us to accomplish what He wants so that His name is glorified, His kingdom is extended and strengthened, and His will is done. Let me give you just a couple thoughts about God's will. First of all, let's talk about God's will of decree. The decreed will of God. There is one sense in which God has determined some things to happen in advance. These things will be accomplished and there is nothing that can hinder them, stop them, or sidetrack them. This kind of determination can be seen in creation, in the order that is maintained in the universe, in God's dealing with sin and Satan, and in the matter of salvation. The Word of God is clear when it talks about God's definite will being a reality. Let's look at some scripture. Isaiah 14, 24. The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so it shall come to pass, and as I have purposed, so it shall stand. Jeremiah 51, 29. And the land will tremble in sorrow, for every purpose of the Lord shall be performed against Babylon to make the land of Babylon a desolation without inhabitant. Ephesians 1, verse 9 through 11. says, Having made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in, on earth in Him. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Psalm 115, verse 3. But our God is in heaven. He does whatever 
He pleases. Kind of settles it, doesn't it? He's God. He do what he wants to. Can't argue with that. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. He's letting you know right up front, hey, there's nobody like me. He's in a class all by himself. Declaring the end from the beginning. Notice that. He's declaring the end from the beginning. He's saying, hey, I'm standing out here at the beginning and I'm going to declare the end. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen from back here. That's what he says. Isn't that what he says? And from ancient times, things that are not yet done. I'm going to tell you from ancient times, things that are not yet done. I'm going to tell you what's coming from way back here. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. We serve a big God. Psalm 135, verse 6. Now some of you probably wondering, well, how does my prayer fit in all this? Well, we saw it when Abraham prayed for Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> well, it, just, it, all, it all fits into God's plan. God knew there weren't 10 righteous people in there when it came time to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, Abraham wasn't afraid if God wouldn't have kind of nudged Abraham to pray. But don't you think God knew that there weren't going to be enough people in there to spare? Sodom and Gomorrah. And it was only by God's grace that Lot was even spared. God knows what he's doing. Psalm 135 verse 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deep places. Sound like he does what he wants to wherever he wants to. Daniel 4.35 All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? You kind of get the idea. Some things have been determined by the Lord and they will stand forever that is his decreed, definite will. There's no use to pray about it, complain about it, or try to change it. If God has decreed it to happen, it's going to happen, and you can't change it. It's going to be regard- done regardless of what men do, say, think, or feel. Let me just say this way. Satan's going to be destroyed. I don't care how many pagan people try to pray and keep Satan from being destroyed. Satan's going to be destroyed. I don't care how many people try to pray and keep Jesus from coming back. Jesus is coming back. It's been determined. He's coming back. God's eternal plan is going to be accomplished. Satan, sin, and death is going to be judged and done away with forever. The saints of God are going to heaven. If you've been saved, sealed until the day of redemption, you're going to heaven. It can't be stopped. Things are going to play out just as God has determined them to play out. But here's a second thing about God's will. You've got God's will of desire, His desired will. 
You see, unlike God's decreed will, that which God desires may not come to pass. God, God has things He desires, things He wishes, but may not happen. Let me give you some examples. It may not make sense, but let me give you some examples, try to make it clear. There are several words translated will in the New Testament. Let me give you the main two and kind of show the difference between God's decreed will and His desired will. The first word I want to talk about is the word fellow, T-H-E-L-O. This word refers to a decree or a design and it speaks of the eternal counsels and purposes of God which cannot be changed. This word is used to speak of those things God has already determined and will take place and nothing can ever change it. This word is used over 200 times in the New Testament. A couple places where you can find this word is John chapter 21, verse 22 and 23 and John chapter 17, verse 24. The next word is the word, and I'm not a Greek expert, but and it's called boulome, B-O-U-L-O-M-A-I. This word means a fond wish or desire. It carries the idea of a passive wish. This is what God would desire to see happen under the best of circumstances. This word is used for things that God would like to see happen, but which do not always come to pass. Now this word is only used seven times in the New Testament. It can be found in Acts 24, 27 and 2 Peter 3, 9. How many know the Bible says that God's not, He desires people to say, but He's not willing for people to perish. Well, here's the thing. We know everybody's not going to be saved. God's desired will is salvation, but everybody's not going to be saved. That's an example, 2 Peter 3, 9. Not willing for people to perish, but people are going to be lost. So that's just a little information concerning the will of God. There are things that God has determined, decreed, they're going to happen. And there's things that God, yes, He would like to see happen, but they're not going to happen. And so there is a sense in which God's purposes will be done and cannot be thwarted, but there's also a sense in which God's desires are not always accomplished. Now, in our verse, the word translated will comes from the word fellow, T-H-E-L-O. This means that we're to pray for God's perfect decreed will to be carried out on this earth just as it is being carried out in heaven. We're to pray for God's decreed will to be done. That's what we should be praying for. God, I want your perfect, divine, decreed will to take place and we should be praying, God, let it come to pass and let it come through me. That means we need to be praying, God, use me to carry out your will. That means we've got to learn how to surrender to God's will. And we've got to be seeking God's will. Amen? So that means God's will and God's kingdom has to be a priority. That means we can't just be living for our kingdom and what we want. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So when it comes to praying, seek God's will and surrender to God's will. But it does tell us something else. Number four, request God's provision. Once you've put God's first, once you've sought His will, sought His kingdom, once you're saying, God, I want your will, Jesus doesn't tell us there's anything wrong with requesting God's provision. But notice what He says. He says, give us day by day. Our daily bread in verse 3. Notice he doesn't say give us month by month. 
my provision. He, he doesn't say, give me year by year my provision. He says, give us day by day my provision. We're to ask daily, God, meet my need. You know, this requires trust. To say, God, meet my need for today. Give me just what I need for today. You know, we're people who like to stockpile stuff and try to hold on. But God's saying, I want you to trust me today. And when you get up tomorrow, I want you to trust me then. Every day of your life, I want you to trust me. Amen? You see, when we come to God to request, request the provision of basic needs, you know essentially what we're doing, we're entering a time of worship. In reality, no higher form of worship exists than for a child of God to enter the presence of their Heavenly Father and unashamedly declare, I can't make it without you. No greater way to worship God than to come to Him and say, Father, I can't do it without you. When I approach God with my request, it demonstrates three things. I believe in God's power. When I come to Him and say, Father, give me today my daily bread, I'm saying to God, I believe in Your power. When I ask Him to meet my needs, I'm saying, God, I've got faith to believe You can meet my need. I'm telling the Father, I believe You're able to take care of me. Look at some Scripture, Job 42.2. I know that You can do everything and no purpose of Yours can be withheld from You. Luke one thirty seven. With God, nothing will be impossible. Ephesians 3.20, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. You see, he is able and he can do and will take care of his children. If God can create everything, he can certainly take care of you. Amen. If he can feed two million Israelites of 40 years in the desert, God can take care of you. Do you realize it would have to take several train loads to feed that many people every day? God can take care of you. When I come to God and say, God, give me my daily bread, not only do I believe in God's power, I believe in God's promises. I'm believing what God says in His Word. The Bible is clear that God will take care of His people. Psalm 37, 25, I've been young, now I'm old, but I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor His seed begging for bread. Philippians 4, 19, My God will supply all your need according to His riches in Glory by Christ Jesus. God will meet your need. God's promised to do it and He will do it. But thirdly, when I come to Him and say, God, give me today my daily bread, I believe in God's personality. I believe God is who He says He is. When I ask Him to meet the daily needs of life, listen, I'm not trying to twist God's arm and make Him do something He don't want to do. You see, God's not a Scrooge. I'm not trying to force him to do something he don't want to do. God wants to do good for me. God wants to do good for you. God wants to take care of his people. I'm simply laying hold of his provision. I'm laying hold of what he's promised me. Amen? Nothing honors God more than his children coming to him in childlike faith, asking him for what they need, believing that he loves them, and that he is a generous God. Let me simply ask you tonight, Do you believe God's a generous God? I believe He's generous. I I believe God's good and God wants to do well for us. Amen? 
Wouldn't it be sad to get to heaven and God have a room somewhere tucked away and Him open a door saying, hey, these are all the blessings I had for you, but you never asked for them. These are all the things I wanted to do, but you didn't ask me and believe me. Wouldn't that be a shame? Man, that... Listen, I know there'll be no tears in heaven, but you'd probably feel like shedding some tears, wouldn't you? These are all the things you could have had if you'd have simply asked. These are all the things you could have done. These would have been all the things that could have been possible if you'd have just asked. Wow. You say, I believe God will do a lot more if we ask. You know what James says, you have not because you ask not. Here's the thing, how will we ever know what God does until we ask Him? Here's the thing, all He can say is no. Isn't that right? All He can say is no, or not now, but He could say yes. I wonder tonight if I have anybody in the house who would get bold enough and brave enough to maybe pray for something big. Something audacious. Because here's the thing. Many times we pray for things that are small and if God don't do it, you'll go out and do it yourself. God didn't answer that prayer if you went out and did it yourself. I want to pray prayers that I just have to sit back and say, hey, God did it. That it it has to be God. And that's the thing. And I believe that's why sometimes God allows us to get into things so that we'll have to trust Him. So all the glory and honor goes to him. But could you imagine who was it? Was it Joshua, I believe, when he's fighting the battle and he prayed, son, stand still? Could you imagine praying that prayer having to be Joshua? Son, stand still. Elijah on the mountain against the prophets of Baal and prayed 63 words. You know how long it takes to pray 63 words? Not very long. And fire fell from heaven. But here's the thing. Before he ever prayed, he took, what, six buckets of water and he drenched the, the sacrifice and it filled the trench around the altar till it was overflowing. He made it as impossible as could be. And fire came from heaven, burnt up the sacrifice and all the ashes. And God responded. This goes to show it don't take long prayer. Just takes faith in a big God. That's the God you and I still serve. Because James lets us know Elijah wasn't that great of a man. He was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed and the heavens didn't give rain. And he prayed after three and a half years and the heavens gave rain again. In fact, after the great fire top 
revival he had in the prophets of Baal. He goes out into the desert after hearing uh, Jezebel's going to take his head and have his life. He goes out and he's depressed and asks God to kill him. What a great man he was. And we often compare ourselves to these people. We're like, well, God can't use me like that. Yeah, he can. They're no different than we are. But they were willing to get out there a little bit. They were willing to pray. They were willing to believe. That's what it all comes down to. Being willing to pray. Being willing to ask. I've got one more thing here, number five, but I'm just going to give you this and then I'm going to close. But ask for spiritual help. He says, forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Listen. We're in the spiritual journal. We've got an enemy. We've got the flesh we have to war against. We've got the world that's attacking us. It's going to be times we fall, times we fail. Never forget the forgiveness, grace, and compassion of God. He's there to help us spiritually. He's there to give us strength. He's there to empower us by the Holy Spirit if we'll just look to Him. Ask for spiritual help. It's available. Amen. You want to know why some people struggle in their spiritual walk? Because they don't ask for spiritual help. It's available. In closing, look at verse 9 through 13. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive, and he who seeks, find, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? As we ask, seek, and knock, God will answer. But the idea is you've got to ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking, knock and keep knocking. And around verse 5 through 8, he talks about a friend coming to, to his house and he didn't have anything to sit before him and he went to his neighbor's house and he'd beat on the door at midnight and he said, hey, I've got a friend, you need to give me something. And he said he didn't open the door because he was a friend, but because of his perseverance, his importunity. He opened the door. It's not saying we nag God to death, but you persevere. You go to God and you persist and you believe and you ask and you knock because you believe God can answer and you believe God will answer. But here's what I do know. If you do nothing, nothing happens. If we do nothing, nothing happens. You see, our need, I wrote this down, our need is not just knowing how to pray, our greatest need is to pray. 
Because if you go back to the original statement of what the disciples said, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And it can be implied, yes, teach us what to say, how to say it. But you can also look at it as teach us to pray. Teach us to do it. And the reality is, most of us, we know the methods. We know the routines. We know all the ins and outs and the ups and downs. So it all comes down to doing it. Amen. Would you stand with me?